While they're going down, we want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus. Titus, the second chapter. I believe we started at the 11th verse, but we're not going there right now. Just turn there and hold it. This morning, I want to, before we get into our our verses of Scripture, I want to share a, a story with you that most of you know, and by the time I get into the story, you musicians especially, will know what I'm talking about this morning. But there was a young man that was born in England. We'll call him Johnny or John. And he was born to a wonderful mother and a father that was a seafaring man that was a sailor. His mother taught him about the Bible until he was six years of age. His mother died of tuberculosis because his father was a seafaring man. They placed him in an orphanage. For five years, he was in an orphanage. And his father came back when he was 11 years old and took him and let him be on the ship. Made a sailor out of him at the age of 11. But little Johnny or John was so vile, he turned so bad. And debauchery and sin and bad stuff with the wrong crowd. His father disowned him. And as he got into his upper teen years, he was in the Royal Navy. And he rebelled against the discipline in the Navy. And he even uh, uh, went, he deserted. He, uh, uh, and they caught him and put him in chains. And he convinced them to let him work on a slave trader as he provided slaves to the new country. So they did. And he spent the biggest part of his life as a slave trader, buying slaves, uh, capturing slaves from Africa and, and providing uh, uh, slaves to the new world. Uh, but on one trip, and I'm going to make this a short story, as they were going around the Horn of Africa, probably the roughest place in the ocean, it seems one night the ship he was on, he was on the bow, it seemed it would surely sink. Because it was almost a perfect storm. And it seems that the ship couldn't survive. But all of a sudden, well, I'm missing a good point. Let me tell you first, before we get to this point. Some of his friends were Christians. And they gave him a book to read. And it was by by Thomas Kempis. And it was called The Imitation of Christ. Now, some of you may have read that. Well, he read it as a jest, as a joke. But he opened his heart up to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And God started dealing with him. One thing for uh, in particular, he, w- he was caught on uh, 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 one of the verses or the lines in that book. And it was about the uncertain uh, continuance of life. How fickle this life is. We've got no promise of tomorrow. And then it had a passage from Proverbs that said, because I have called and you didn't answer, you refused. It says, I will also laugh at your calamity. This bothered him. So one night he was on the deck of the ship and a rogue wave, you watch the deadliest catch, you know what I'm talking about, came over and washed John off the bow of the boat into the ocean. And he wrote about it later and he said his whole life came before him. And he said he felt as he was sinking to hell because of the book he'd read and the witness of other people. And and in a moment, before he could even finish his thought, another wave came, lifted him up, and put him back on the ship. And that's all it took. I know that sounds like fiction. Maybe. But Adrian Rogers tells this, and I got a lot of confidence in Adrian Rogers. So he got saved. He turned his life over to Christ. He was a minister in the Anglican church. 
He wrote 280 songs. And you know him as John Newton. And one of them is going to talk about our, our thoughts for today. His amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The greatest gospel song of all times. And we'll continue after we're dead and gone. This man wrote this song. 280 more. One of them is there's a fountain filled with blood that flows. Uh, you, you know the song. Many of them. And, and so today, we call our message today, Back to the Basics. We've been studying heaven. We've been in recent weeks and months. We've been to heaven 10 or 15 times. We, we all feel like we're at home at heaven. Uh, we've had our questions answered. This was a wonderful study. I enjoyed every minute of it. But something kept telling me, get back to the basics. We, we're taking something for granted. We're forgetting some stuff. Sure, we, we're glad to have the apple pie in the sky, heaven. That's ours. But where does it start? We're taking things for granted. So, and I think the thing that we're taking for granted today is, is the very reason that we're alive today. The very reason today that we have the health we do. The very reason that we have a heaven to go to. And, and, and the reason for that, all of these things today goes back to the grace of God today. And I said many people might, uh, be bored by the simplicity. Uh, I don't know, but you know, First Corinthians one twenty seven says, "But God has chosen the foolish or the simple things of life to confound the wise of the world." So maybe it won't uh, uh, bore you too much today, as 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 we look into uh, our study today. And if you will, we're going to turn now to First uh, Timothy as we look at God's amazing grace. And see what the words has for us today. As we start with first, uh, with Titus in the second chapter, we, we give you a setting here. Paul is, is writing to young Titus and, 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 and teaching him about how to be a preacher, if you would. And he's emphasizing a number of things, but one thing that caught my eye, he's emphasizing to each of us today that good works and a righteous life are the, the the necessary fruit for a genuine faith. Now, I want you to remember now, good works, it comes after we're saved. We're going to talk about it today, and I don't want anybody to be confused. Uh, a lot of people think you're saved by works, but we're not. A lot of denominations. These good works are coming uh, after we're saved. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodly and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the hope of a Christian today, folks. Look into the eastern sky. I believe he could come at any time. Verse 14 says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity uh, and, and purify himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's how we're going to start our study today. Those scriptures that we just read, they describe the character, if you would, and the purpose of God's 
saving grace. Now, Paul is telling us something here. He's saying that saving grace does a number of things. First, it instructs us as believers to reject the ungodly passions, pleasures, and values of this present world. And it also, if you look at that reject, it says decisively reject those passions of this present world. Second thing, it commands us and it gives us the power to obey those commands as believers to live righteously and godly while waiting and waiting expectantly for the blessed hope and appearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I want to read a few more scriptures here and tell you a little bit about this grace and we'll move fastly through that. But we're looking at faith and grace which go hand in hand. And Romans 5.21 says, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign unto righteousness, unto eternal life by Christ Jesus. Now, God gives a measure of grace as a gift to unbelievers. Why? In order that they might be able to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives a, a, a grace to the believers to be made free from sin, to will and to do the good pleasure of our Lord, uh, to grow in grace, to witness for Christ. And it's the things that we have to do. It says God's grace must be diligently desired and sought after. And, and let me tell you a few of the ways. How do I get this grace? Well, through the Holy Scriptures, through the hearing of the proclamation of the gospel, through praying, so many more. That's how we get it. But verse 4 has a caution to us uh, here. It says, God's grace can be resisted. Hebrews twelve fifteen. We can We can resist it. it. It can be received in vain. And that's in 2 Corinthians 6, 1. It can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians. It can be nullified. And it can be abandoned by the believer. Uh, uh, Galatians 5, 4. Okay, we want to look at, at a little bit of, uh, about this faith and grace. And, and I want to share a, a quick story with you. Uh, and, and I think it describes... Grace better than any way I could do it. There's a story that says two preachers, one from the north, one from the south. They were going together for a men's convention in Savannah, Georgia. Well, it, I, I don't know how it's possible, but the story says the man from the north had never truly been in the south. And they went to a convention, stayed at a motel, stopped at a restaurant for breakfast. But as they served breakfast, the man from the north looked on his tray and saw some white mushy stuff. He didn't know what it was, so he asked the waitress, said, ma'am, what is that white mushy stuff? She said, it's grits. He said, ma'am, I didn't order grits. I didn't order it, and I'm not going to pay for it. And she said, sir, down here, you don't order it, and you don't pay for it. Doesn't that sound like grace? We can't order it, and we can't pay for it. There's another one that I had that says unmerited favor. As you know, that's what grace is all about. It says when a person who works an eight-hour day and receives a fair uh, day's pay for that time, it's called a wage. But when a person competes with an opponent and receives the trophy for his performance, it's called a prize. 
When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievement, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, that person can win no prize and deserves no award and yet receives that gift anyway. That's a good picture of God's unmerited favor. And what we're talking about is the amazing grace of God today. And that's what we're talking about. We want to go on. What is grace? And it, we want to talk a little bit about what grace is. Well, grace is God's giving us what we do not deserve. Giving us what we do not deserve. It is God's unmerited favor shown towards sinful man. And it's contrary to human wisdom. God's grace is contrary to human wisdom. It's contrary to what we call Americanism. It's bred in our minds. I've got a few phrases here that you've heard on television, but it tells what's bred in our mind, the human wisdom that we have today. And these were commercials, and I bet you can finish the sentence before I do. The first one says, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. You've heard it on TV. No one says there's no such thing as a free lunch. And then one that we all know, we thought it was in the Bible, but it's not. God helps those who helps themselves. This is what's bred in our mind. This is what we think. This is human wisdom, Americanism. But it's contrary to the grace of God. The idea that's bred in us is you get what you pay for. I've said it many times in the secular world. But God's grace, it doesn't fit. It, it, it does not fit. But when we speak of grace, we normally say amazing grace because it's truly amazing. We, we talk about some companion words with grace, and one of them is mercy. Uh, and there's a no injustice. We'll mention both of them in passing. Mercy is God's not giving us, not giving us what we deserve. And that's a wonderful thing. What would we have today if, if we got what we deserve? We're sinners. We'd get, we'd get judgment. We'd get damnation. So mercy is God's not giving us what we deserve. Then there's one that you hear on TV a lot, justice. We want justice. Well, justice here is God's given us what we deserve. And what do we deserve? We deserve hell. Every one of us. If we got justice, every one of us would go to hell. Again, grace has given us what we don't deserve. His love, his fullness, his forgiveness, righteousness, all these are imputed to us. We didn't seek God. He sought us. We loved him because he loved us first. He loved us when we were ugly, when we were unlovable and unlovely. It didn't start with the goodness of man, but in the grace of God. Not in the merits of man, works. It didn't start there, but in the mercy of God. There's no other way today, folks, that we can be saved apart from grace. Now, there's a lot of people today that think they're saved by what they don't do. If I don't do bad things, I'll be a Christian. A lot of folks say that I'm saved by the things that I do. I do some good things. They're both wrong. Salvation 
is not spelled don't and do. It's spelled done. Salvation is the gift of God. Uh, and, and we know that. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace are you saved, and not uh, through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ. Christ Jesus, unto good works. Now, I want you to catch that. It says we are created in Christ Jesus unto works, not by works. We are created unto works, which God has has before ordained that we should walk in them. Salvation is not math. Salvation is not subtraction and addition. Many people say, I got a dirty dozen in my life. If I keep get rid of the bad things in my life, uh, like subtract them from my life, I'd be a Christian. No one says if, if I could do good things. But if, if, if that's the definition by not doing bad things of, of being a Christian, the nursing homes and the jails would be full of them because people there can't do a whole lot of things. Titus 3, 5 through 7 says, Not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the, remember this phrase, washing of regeneration. And renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If we could be saved today by being good, then Calvary was the biggest blunder of all times. We can't do it. If that was the case, then God made a colossal mistake by sending Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary to do for us what we could do for ourselves. If we could be good and be saved, we didn't need Calvary. Galatians 2.21, Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. This is God's word. What he's saying is if we could be saved by commandment keeping, then Christ died for nothing. We are saved again by grace and Calvary proved it. Did you ever hear people say that, yes, we believe you're saved by grace, but God, but we have to do our part and God has to do his part. We do our part, works, God does his part, grace. They're mingling work and grace. And when you do that, you destroy grace. It doesn't work. Romans eleven six says this. And if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. If it's by work, you don't need grace. Grace is no more. But if it be by works, then there's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Here's how it works. The acronym for grace, G-R-A-C-E. You've heard it. Grace riches at God's expense. God, uh, grace is God reaching down, saying, I love you. I want to save you. He reaches down to a, uh, out of heaven to a sinful man. He extends his hand to us. And he does it through his son, Christ. Now, one more word we'll look at. Now, we're saved 
by grace through faith. Now, the acronym for faith, and I've heard this before, forsaking all, I trust him. And here's how it works. This is how we're saved. Uh, God says, I love you. I want to save you. Man says, I need to be saved. We see the need. Uh, but I can't save myself. You have to do something for me I can't do for myself. Uh, I want to be saved. We have to have that want to. We've seen the need and we have to have the want to. And man puts his hand of faith in God's hand of grace. By grace through faith are you saved. I believe there, there's a lot of people uh, in this world who are starched and ironed. But there's still something missing. Did you ever think about your wife ironing your white shirt and it's been starched and ironed but it's dirty? These people that have been starched and ironed, they've missed out on a, on a, on a, a vital step of the process. They haven't been washed. They haven't been washed. They've been through a religious service, a religiosity. That's what they've been through. But they haven't experienced the washing of regeneration. As we look at ways to, uh, to justify the grace of God, there's a group of people I mentioned that they have their own means of justification. One of them is a politician. He says, let's legislate laid our way through it. The military man says, let's fight our way out of it. The liar says, let's bluff our way out of it. The materialist says, let's buy our way out of it. And the alcoholic says, you know, let's drink our way out of it. But Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, the only way is the Lord Jesus Christ. This amazing grace that we're talking about is a strengthening grace. And I know we've talked a lot about a sovereign grace. But now, talk about a, a strengthening grace this morning. Uh, and, and Titus 2.12 uh, it, it talks about us living righteously and godly and sober in this vile and wicked present world today. But I want you to hear something. And this is important because we might have a lot of Joel Osteen fans here. And I, I'm one of them myself. I, I think he doesn't preach all the gospel. But he's a good man. But let me share something with you and I hope it won't offend you. Grace means that God loves you just like you are and just where you are. You've heard that. If you've ever heard Joel Osteen, you've heard that before. But there's a but there. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are and like you are. He loves you too much. He's not going to leave you there. If you claim to be saved and there's not been a change, you haven't got it, folks. And this is what God's Word saying, not me. Grace means that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. But grace is teaching us that we have to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There is nothing that can transform you like the grace of God. Grace gives us the strength to live our lives. I've heard stories about children that say, I was a good child this week and I'm in the family, but... Last week, I disobeyed my parents and they disowned me. You never know whether you're in the family or not. One week you're in, one week out. When you're God's child, you're in. You're in forever. We want to look now at God's grace, and this will be the last one. 
Uh, God's grace is a sufficient grace. There's nothing in the world around you that God's grace is not sufficient for. Uh, Jesus Christ tells us that in this world we'll face tribulations. But what does Jesus Christ say? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he's pouring out his grace through each one of us. Paul knew tribulation. had a terrible life after he was saved for, for all that he did. He, he knew many tribulations, but God was good to him. God gave him a tremendous vision. If you read the writings of Paul, God j- uh, had just pulled back the curtains of glory. And he let Paul look on the other side. Paul had a wonderful revelation of the third heaven. But then something happened to Paul. Let me read to you uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the, the, through the abundance of the revelations that God had given him, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And where did it come from? The messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. And he says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it should be should depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And it says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul is saying a lot here. Therefore, I take pleasures in my infirmities and my reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. Now, we don't know what this thorn was. Some people say it was an eye problem. We don't know. We know that this thorn was not a rose thorn. It was like a dagger. And we do know it came from Satan. Did God send it? No, God didn't send it, but God allowed it. God allows everything in this world to happen. God allows everything. Paul then attributes this demonic activity to, uh, uh, to a demonic or- origin. God permitted this, but he limited it. Paul's thorn, I believe, was given to him to keep him from becoming proud about the revelations that God gave him. Paul's thorn kept him dependent upon grace. In, in, in greater measure, uh, you know, this is what he depended on. God's grace is God's presence, favor, and power. It is a heavenly strength bestowed upon those who will call upon it. The greater the witness we have in, in trials, in all, the, the greater the grace that he'll bestow upon us. So we should glory in these, uh, in these trials. We should glory and see eternal value in them. In our weaknesses, for they cause the power of God to to descend upon us and dwell among us as we walk through this life to our heavenly journey. I don't know what kind of problems you have today, but and and I know there's a lot of problems in the world today, and certainly in our congregation here. But I do know this: we all know sorrow, we all know heartache, and we know it because we live. In a world that's full of heartache and sorrow. That's the reason we know it. But I can tell you this. And and anybody else can tell you this. That with a certainty that the grace of God is sufficient. For you and I today.
Now, some people tell us, well, I don't think God's grace is sufficient for me. My problems are too big. It's too big. Adrian Rogers said one time, those people are like a minnow swimming in the Atlantic Ocean, worrying about it evaporating. And that's about the truth of it. Grace, God's grace is sufficient. It's wrapped up in Christ. But if we fail the grace of God, if we don't appropriate this grace of God to our lives, when trouble comes, we will become bitter. How do I know that? Because God's Word said it. Hebrews twelve fifteen, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Trouble will come to your life and to my life. It's going to come. That's a promise. But there's another promise. God will give you the grace that's sufficient to sustain us. Now, if we fail the grace of God, if we say, hold it, I believe I can handle this on my own. I don't need you today, God. Many people do that. Become bitter. We're going to become bitter, critical, hard. We're going to argue with God. But if we say, Lord... I don't understand it. But I believe your grace is sufficient for me. Then God's going to begin that miracle in each of our lives today. I imagine if you talk to Teresa Davis, she would say amen to that. We go through a lot. Bob's going through a lot. But I guarantee God has, has told him in that still small voice, my grace is sufficient. Many times we ask, God, do you know what I'm going through? Do you know what I'm experiencing? Many times we don't think he is. But he's there. And the times that we don't think God knows where we're at and what we're doing. If we don't see his hand at work, we can always trust his heart. You can trust God's heart. When you receive God's grace today, we need to pass it on. We're living in a world that needs the mercy in the grace of God. That's the only hope that we have today. I'm going to share something with you. I heard Dr. David Jeremiah say. Uh, and it's been recently. And this is what he's writing. And I'm going to read it because I'm going to give him credit. He says, God blesses cracked pots. I'm not talking about a crack pot of marijuana or something. I'm not talking about crack cocaine. But broken pottery. Cracked pots. He said... God blesses us cracked pots or broken pottery in spite of our sinful, undeserving nature. And how on his list of blessings is forgiveness. As we look to him alone, he gives us that word again. Grace. He imparts a million blessings that we don't deserve. And mercy. He withholds. A million judgments that we do deserve. That's what Dr. David Jeremiah said. Now these are my words. If God gives us grace and mercy to us broken pottery. And a lot of us like that. We certainly need to extend this to other people. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says. But I... But I have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not for us. 
We need that all-surpassing power, the grace of God today. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Father, for the blessings that we receive every day. Thank you for the realness and the power of your word today. Make these words real to our hearts today, Father. We pray that these words would be instilled upon our heart. And again, we pray, Lord, that they would go forth. Lord, as seed on the fallow ground that would certainly bring fruit to the kingdom of God. Bless this, your people today, Father. We pray in your name. Amen. We invite you to stand for our hymn of invitation. And we'll sing. I believe it's going to be on a scene. On our screen today. Let's pray as we go. Father, we pray your blessings upon this, your people today. We thank you, Father, for they are faithful to you in this church. We pray a blessing upon them this week. Keep them safe. Lord, keep them, Lord, under the, under the shadow of your wings. Now bless us, Father. We pray again that you grant traveling mercies to our pastor, to our youth minister, and all those that are traveling today. Now bless us, Lord, as we go our separate ways. In your precious name we pray. Amen.